in Song of Solomon chapter 5 verse 16, here's what it says. This is my beloved, this is my friend. Isn't that where we want to be? That's where we want to be. We want our spouse to be our friend, our lover and our friend. The fav- my favorite part about marriage is the friendship that my wife and I shared to this day. We didn't always have that. We did not, not only not love each other, we did not like each other. But God did a miracle in our marriage, and it really started with a couple things. It started with me asking this question every day. I would ask myself this question as we started to turn our marriage around. What can I do? What can I do? What can I do for my spouse to show her or him that they are the most important person in my life? Not what can I say... And not what can I respond to. Because for years I was, just, I was just thinking that if God would just fix Cynthia, then he would fix our marriage. Right? But how many of you know that's not the case? Right? I mean, that's not the case. So, so I begin to ask myself, look in the mirror, what can I do? What can I do? Not what I can respond to, what can I do? What action step can I take? to really start to show my wife that they are the most important person in my life. And so that's what started it for me because your spouse should be the most important person in in your life. Listen, I've heard people say, I live for my kids. If that is how you think, you are thinking wrong. You do not live for your kids. You live for God. And then your spouse is number two. And then your kids. All right, I was just wondering if you guys were awake. I thought maybe I need to go find a awake crowd. All right, so your, your spouse is number two. Your kids are, are beyond that. So your husband's or your wife's needs come before your children. Amen? And so we taught on that last week, and you could catch the podcast. Some of you obviously need to because you're looking at me the way you're looking at me. So you can order the CD or catch the podcast. So, so that's where my wife and I started. I, I knew I, I didn't know how to love her, but I thought to myself, okay, I can be her friend. I can learn how to be her friend. I can learn how to treat her like she is the most important person in my life. Because in the Bible it says this, Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times. So if I can be her friend, I can learn how to love her. Did you see how that works? If I can be her friend, then I can learn how to love her because a friend loves at all times. So we started not by restoring love, we started by restoring friendship. Because when a marriage goes bad, it's not that people first fall out of love, it's that people first fall out of friendship. You hear me? They first fall out of friendships. So we began to, I began to ask myself that question, and then this verse really got a hold of me, and I want to share it with you today. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I'm, all right, we got a battery pack here. I'm probably pretty good at 8%, but there I see a lightning bolt. All right, so Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, this verse is very important. Let me just start with this. It says this, therefore a man, did you catch that part? I'll say that again because some of you missed it. 
I said a man. I said, ladies, if you're going to find someone, find a man. Not a guy. And you don't want a boy. You want a man. You say, how do I know if, if there's a man or not? If they play video games more than they work, they're still a boy. You need a man. I, I, was, I was preaching for the young adults at, at, at uh, TCI in Lake Worth doing a young adult service, and I said this. I said, you know what women really find sexy? Here's what they find sexy. You want to know? A job. They find a job... <laughs> For some reason, women just find a job so sexy. If I could just find a man with a job, ooh, that's sexy. You know what they find really sexy? A career. Oh, man. That career is so sexy. It's just something about it. And so it says this, you have to be a man. So listen, that's when you know that you're, you're ready. You, you've matured. So when a man, uh, a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and then one translation says, the two become one, the two become one. If you look at that verse, it's a mathematical equation. Two become one. How do two become one? Well, if you did the math, and you put the two, and then the equal sign, then one, and then you had to draw a line underneath it, and you divide it by the same, you're going to eventually end up with subtraction. Right? That's the only way two become one. Two don't become one by addition. Two become one by subtraction. And so who, who who gets cut? Do you want to know? You do. Who loses? You do. Marriage is really all about you losing. Some of you husbands are going, I know that, Pastor. I've been losing for a long time. No, no. Marriage is God's way of getting you to get rid of yourself. He's really trying to help you. See, when he introduces you to a companion, what he's really trying to do is to kill you. He's trying to kill self. Huh? And then he gives you kids to really <laughs> wipe you out. Right? No, I'm, I'm serious. I, I know it's funny, but I'm, I'm absolutely serious. God introduces you to a companion so that you learn how not to be selfish. He's trying to mold you and shape you, Right? Because this is what the enemy did when he found Adam and Eve. Notice he never messed with Adam until Eve came along. Adam existed, was naming all the animals, no devil showed up. Huh? All of a sudden, God gives him Eve, now we have a marriage, here comes the enemy. Because he hates marriage. Why? Because marriage is a picture of God himself. The Bible says God created them male and female. When God wanted to create a self-portrait, he put a marriage on this earth. And so the devil hates that, so he's out to destroy marriage. So he tries to put a seed, and that seed is selfishness. Self. He says to Eve, oh no, you will enjoy it. Huh? And so he introduced 
selfishness because he was all about selfishness. He was the source of it. And so God says, no, you you have to understand, I'm going to give you this companion, but two become one. So you have to die to yourself for a marriage to live. Amen? I really did not know I was selfish until I got married. Nobody told me. And then I got married, and finally somebody told me. But it, wasn't, it really wasn't Cynthia. Huh? I, I did not know I was selfish until I got married, but I was the most selfish person. But I thought I was a giving, and I thought I was caring, and I thought I was affectionate. I thought I was all these great things. And then when I got married, it's like God introduced me to what, what sacrifice really is. Now I'm going to put you in a marriage, and you're going to learn how to deny yourself. And so that's God's method. But the enemy wants to bring selfishness and introduce selfishness into a marriage so that he can destroy the marriage. And the DNA of a broken marriage is selfishness. If you were to break it down and and really look at it for what it is, if you take any broken marriage, any marriage that is falling apart, if you really examine the makeup of it, the DNA is selfishness. It's always us wanting our own way. In 2 Corinthians 5.15, here's what it says. It says Christ died for all or he died for all. And here's what it says, that we would no longer live for what? For ourselves. That we would no longer live for ourselves. See, I just thought marriage was going to be all about me, just getting my needs met. It's going to be the greatest thing. I just thought this is going to be wonderful. Listen, marriage did not make me selfish. Marriage exposed the selfishness that was already on the inside of me. I didn't know it was there until I had to sacrifice and and give and be caring and put somebody else's needs above my own. Then I realized how selfish I really was as an individual. And so, here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, love does not demand its own way. But that's how I lived. I demanded my own way all the time. I could out-argue Cynthia. I, I, could, I could phrase things better than her. I could yell louder than her. I could throw things harder and further than she could. I could do it, man. I could, I could punch holes in the wall. I mean, I could kick fans. We've, we've done it all. Huh? And I could hurt her in a second. And I would do it. I would do it. I would demand my own way. That's just how I lived. And I remember we went to marriage counseling uh, many times. And we went to marriage counseling. And we sat down with a marriage counselor. And for the first time in my life, a man cared enough about me to look me in the eye and say, you're selfish. And when he did, I tilted my head and said, what? (laughs) I was the picture of selfishness. But I had never been told that. And it's exactly what I needed to hear. And that's when we started to turn this thing around. When I started to realize I am selfish, I have got to make some major changes in my life. It is all about me and it is time to turn it 
around. And so here's what we did. I want to give you just a couple things that we did to reach our turning point. Number one, be committed for life. When we began to turn our marriage around, we said divorce is not an option. We took that off the table. We just took it off the table. When my wife and I sit down and counsel with couples today, the first thing we talk to them about is taking divorce off the table. We say, listen, we're going to close the back door because if there is a back door, they'll take it. So we say, let's shut the back door. Huh? That's why, why do you think couples live together? Couples live together before they get married because they got one foot out the back door. Right? They say that they're not fully committed. And listen, you can't move forward unless you're willing to say, I am 100% committed. There is no back door. There is no divorce. That is not an option. We didn't have biblical reason for it, right? And so we said, okay, listen, there's nowhere to go but forward. So we had to make tough choices. We had to grow up. We had to, to get the Holy Spirit's help. We didn't have any other choice. And that's where, what really helped us move forward. We said, we're all in. We're committed to this thing now. And I say to couples all the time, you have to be committed. And one of the great things in my life has been able to look at my kids and say, hey, listen, mommy and daddy may have difficult days and we may sometimes say things or raise our voice, but we are 100% committed to each other. We will never get divorced. Cynthia is stuck with me. There's no way about it. I tell her that all the time. And you know what it does for kids? Here's, listen to me. It gives them such a sense of security to know that mommy and daddy are committed to each other. They will not have to grow up in a divorced home. Because regardless of what the world tells you, divorce devastates kids. Do you hear me now? I said it traumatizes them. Don't give me this. Kids are tough. They're resilient. They'll get over it. No, they are not. They are not that tough. They are not that resilient. And they do not easily get over it. Now, God can heal. And God can, can repair and put hearts back together. And God can bring healing to any situation. So if that's happened to you, listen, God can repair what we have broken. But let me tell you, divorce devastates children. And so we had to say to each other, we are 100% committed to moving forward. We are committed to life. The second thing is this, start vertically. Selfishness is not a marriage problem. It is a sin problem. Do you hear me? It's a sin issue. It is the devil introducing sin into our world. And so it's not just that it's, it's a marriage issue. It is an issue between you and God. And to get it right, I not only had to get it right horizontally, I had to first get it right vertically. I had to go to God. Listen to me. I had to go to God and say, God, I need you to forgive me. I, I need you to forgive me for the way I have treated her, the way I've talked to her, the way I've responded to her, for being unloving, uncaring. Because listen, I was a pastor and I prayed and I preached. But I never prayed about my marriage because I did not want to talk to God about it. And let me tell you, when that's going on in your life, guess what God wants to bring up? Your marriage. Huh? You say, God, can we talk about money? No, let's talk about your marriage. 
God, can we talk about the church and, and, and the ministries of the church? No, no, no. Let's talk about your marriage. And so I had to start vertically, right? Because, listen, it's, a, it's an issue with, between you and God. I had to say, God, forgive me. Listen, if your relationship is not right with God, it'll never be right with your spouse. Do you hear me now? Because here's why. Because only God can give you some things. Listen, I love my wife. She's an awesome Cynthia, but she's not Jesus. Huh? She doesn't walk on water, and and she doesn't float, and she doesn't perform the miraculous every day of her life. She can't meet every need that I have. There are needs that I have that only God can meet. So my relationship vertically has to be right before it can ever be right horizontally. And so broken marriages must first, listen, broken marriages must be fixed vertically before they can ever be fixed horizontally. And that's so important for you to know. And I had to go to God and get my relationship with God. Listen, I was a Christian, but I had to ask God to forgive me and get my relationship restored with God above. And the third thing is this. Work on restoring love more than resolving conflict. I'm going to say that again. Work on restoring love more than resolving conflict. Now, when we sit down and do marriage counseling, I can just tell you, there's a lot of people that want to spend a lot of time talking about issues. Oh, this is what they did. This is what he said. This is what she said. Listen, I can, I can help you not to fight. Anybody want to know how not to fight as a, as a married couple? Let me help you, okay? First of all, start... Start sleeping in separate bedrooms. That's number one. Just sleep in separate bedrooms and then don't talk to each other. Huh? Don't talk to each other. Get separate bank accounts. You can still legally be married and you'll probably almost never fight. And some people, that's how they live. They live as brother and sister, not husband and wife. But how many of you know that's not a marriage, right? That's not a marriage. And so, Cynthia and I, we would just fight all the time, and I would just say, God, I'm so tired of the fighting. I'm tired of it. And so, I just put all this work and energy into not fighting. If I could just not fight. But listen, when there is no love, and your love tank is empty, the littlest thing will set you off. And we would just constantly be, be battling each other, fighting and fighting and fighting. We didn't want to, listen, I didn't want to live like brother and sister. I wanted, a, I wanted a happy marriage. I wanted truly to be happy. So I said, okay, how do we fix this? Well, love tank was empty. The littlest thing was setting us off. I, I've told this story many times because Cynthia gave me permission. Why she did, I have no idea. But anyway, she did. When we first got married, she would get something out of her clothes drawer and then she would not close the drawer back all the way. She'd close it like 90%. Sometimes like 70. Every now and then she'd leave it like half open. And I would walk by like, what are you doing? You didn't close the drawer all the way. And she'd say, yeah, so what? I said, how hard is it? You pushed it this far, just keep going. You know, it's just like, come on. And no matter what I said, she didn't make any changes. 
She didn't, she didn't do it. And so I just, I just had to come to some sort of understanding. Okay, I've got three choices. Number one, I can close it myself. But that won't teach her. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and the Bible says train up a wife in the way that she should go. It doesn't say that. No, listen. It doesn't say that at all. I thought it did. I looked for it. It was not wife. So I said, she's not going to learn. So I can't do that. Or I can get a sledgehammer and just smash the dresser to pieces. That one, I was like, oh, okay. She put a clothes on the floor. Huh? That'll teach her. And so I thought that was an option. Or option three, just leave it alone. Who cares? Listen, come on. Who really cares? See, we fight over the dumbest stuff sometimes. My wife and I went to marriage counseling. Actually, Dr. Bob Abramson, one of our board members, is, is here today. And we were with them. We were counseling. That's how long we've known them. For, like 20 years ago, we went to counseling with them. And I came fully loaded, like guns ready to go. I had all this ammunition I was going to use against Cynthia. And so they began to talk to us about problems. I said, you know what her problem is? Let me just tell you what her problem is right now. She doesn't even know my favorite meal. And Nancy looked at Dr. Bob and said, what's your favorite meal? I don't even know what your favorite meal is. I'm like, Nancy, you're not helping, okay? You're supposed to be on my side. The truth was, listen now, the truth was, Years later, I still don't know what my favorite meal is. I could not tell you myself. I've got like 35 favorite meals. I don't know what it is. I didn't know that day. I just wanted to point out her faults. Do you see? See, that's how petty and selfish I was. And that's how ridiculous we get when our love tank is empty. And so here's what we did. We said instead of resolving conflict, instead of putting all of our energy into resolving conflict, let's learn how to love each other. Because here's what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 10. Love covers a multitude of sin. One translation says this, love makes up for all offenses. See, and if you don't have love, then, then who's making up? Because let me just tell you, my wife and I, we got personalities that, that we're not Ozzy and Harriet. Some of you, that's, your, that's you. Bless you. You got a marriage where you never fight. Cynthia and I are Ricky and Lucy. We are we're different, man. We, we butt heads. And, uh, man, we got high stress. We got busy schedules. We just go at it. And I remember years ago, we went to a marriage conference, about five years ago, and we went to the Weekend to Remember in Delray Beach, and the title of one of the workshops was We Fight Too. And I was so excited about that workshop. I said, Cynthia, we're going to that one, right there. That's like my favorite title ever, We Fight Too. I said, that's us, see? It was like the, the speaker was giving this title, and he said, hey, guess what? We fight too. My wife and I, we, listen, we clash. She calls them disagreements. She said, don't tell everybody we're fighting. I said, it's a fight. We fight over whether we call our fights fights, okay? That's how bad we fight. And so we just have, we just have personalities that, man, we can go from zero to 60 back down to zero. But listen to this. We used to fight with our love tanks empty, and a fight would last days 
and we would say the meanest, harshest things to each other. And weeks would go by, sometimes months go by, and we wouldn't talk, we wouldn't have any kind of relationship whatsoever. That's how terrible marriages just get worse, right? And that's how divorce happens. Here's the difference today. The difference is we fight fair now. We disagree fair, okay? The difference is today, we let it go so quickly. Today, we never let the sun go down. We never go to bed angry anymore. We get it right, and we get it right quickly. Huh? We're quick to forgive each other. And we may have disagreements, and there may be schedules that, that cause us to have some friction, or we may say some things sometimes that, that aren't, aren't the right tone, but it's so much different. And you know what the difference is today? The difference is there's love there today, and there was no love 20 years ago. And it makes all the difference in the world. Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes this morning?